This is Tom Donnelly with Akata. Our podcast, Profiles in Digital Leadership, Fraud versus Friction, is a series of interviews with e-commerce, fintech, law enforcement, and global thought leaders. We will focus on fraud prevention and customer experience best practices that everyone should know about. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Fraud versus Friction, the Akata podcast. My name is Tom Donnelly. I am the general manager and VP for the Asia Pacific expansion for Akata. My guest today is David Montague. David and I have known each other for quite a few years in the industry. David currently serves the role as SVP and general manager for e-commerce for the Expedia Group worldwide which is a massive job. And we'll talk about Expedia in a little bit. But you may have encountered a company that he founded called The Fraud Practice, which along with the Merchant Risk Council is one of the few places where you can actively get training in fraud prevention. But then David, you've worked at a variety of other companies in this space. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tom, for having me. Excited to be here. That's great. So, David, you're based in Seattle right now, but with worldwide responsibilities for Expedia Group. You've been in the industry a couple of decades and actually have your roots in some of the products that many people still use today or a connection to them. How has your perspective on fraud prevention changed as you've worked at this variety of companies and grown in your responsibility? Yeah, so... You know, obviously today, you know, my my job goes well beyond fraud. It deals with areas like e-commerce, security, loyalty, to say the least. But when I first started, I came from a development background. And when you, you looked at fraud prevention in the marketplace, it was very clear it just wasn't keeping pace with the move of the industry to online commerce and then omni-channel. There was just no clear answer to fraud. The banks, the card associations, merchants, consumers... We're all looking for answers. And at that time, there were really only a handful of vendors actually servicing this space. And, you know, the way I, I think about, you know, kind of how my, the way I looked at the, the space evolved, I kind of connected to a book I read by Richard Walton. It's called Up and Running. It's a little bit older, but it talks about the life cycle of technology. And they had this thing called Theory X that talks about, you know, when technology first comes out, it does more than what people can ask of it. And then over time, people can, you know, essentially ask more of that technology than it can actually deliver. And if you really look at the fraud space over the last couple of decades, you know, way back then, there were all kinds of silver bullets that were constantly coming out in terms of different capabilities or technologies. And everybody was basically running to go try this new capability. And it's like, this is going to solve all my problems. And over time, it was clear that there, there really wasn't a silver bullet. It was much more complex, and you could see that the fraudsters were getting much more complex, and it became much more about having to build solutions to go yeah, solve yeah. that. Yeah, and David, you've been an excellent advisor to me personally, but also Akata or White Pages Pro in the day, and that's one of my my favorite quotes from you. As I move from the Merchant Risk Council over to work for a solution provider, you're like, "Hey, Tom, here's the deal. If anybody says they have the silver bullet," They're probably overpromising. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll pay attention to that. And that's actually helped me kind of navigate partnerships and kind of understanding who really is understands the industry well if they understand their niche and how their solution fits with others. 
Now let's, without dating ourselves too much, okay, I'm going to ask for the date. You worked, was IBM your first role where you started working in fraud? What year are we talking and and how did you go from a developer background into this specific, that first role that was fraud prevention related? Yeah. So for me, that that's around 2000 and at IBM, you know, fraud wasn't really my focus, you know, so in 2000, you know, I went to go work for a company called CyberSource and CyberSource was in the e-commerce payment space. And in working with them, you know, they had obviously I was bringing a blend of developer skills as long as well as commercial skills and, and working with kind of go to market. And as we engage with customers about standing up, you know, online payment capabilities, because at, at that time e-commerce was just booming and people were just making money like crazy and all kinds of new brands were starting up. And it was all about how quickly could you get online. But for some, that adventure meant also getting hit by fraud. And at the time, you know, the solution, CyberSource had a, a, a fraud score that was available. But in working with, with merchants, it became very clear that, you know, it wasn't enough to really go manage fraud from a business perspective. They needed the ability to add new capabilities as things change, the right rules, to test things, to be more agile, and their their ability to really connect different capabilities and use things like fraud scores along with other types of capabilities, as well as being able to do that in a more real-time fashion. Because otherwise, they, by the time they could make a change, it, it could take a week to code it, which isn't going to really work. So one of the things I did there is in recognizing that need, it was clear that the credit card companies really didn't have an answer for this. You know, it was, it was all new, new territory. And, you know, so I said, hey, give me a development team and we're going to go and we're going to build a fraud engine or a decision engine, something to connect these things together that allow teams to be more agile and to actually go use all these different capabilities to create that first, first cut of a solution. And then that became the building blocks for them to build, you know, their decision platforms as time progressed. But it, it became clear for me a couple of years later, around 2004, and at that time, you could you could count the number of fraud vendors like on one hand. I mean, it was literally a very small field, you know. But by 2004, the CyberSource kind of made their they really went deep into some other areas like acquiring and other activities. I really looked at the fraud space and I said, "Hey, this thing, this thing is going to be big. I mean, this is like a big deal. I think it, you know, as as online really grows, omni-channel comes in. I think there's going to be more and more demand." And I decided to actually to leave CyberSource and you know, start my own business, really focusing on the fraud space and that fraud problem. And how do you solve that? You know, so how do you find how, how people can steal from you? And then how do you prevent it? What are the effective strategies and tools to go and combat it? And I just found this, this space fascinating in terms of you know, what you could really do. And so I, that's when I founded the fraud practice and really focused on you know, really helping companies in terms of assessing, you know, their exposure as well as fixing where they are exposed and, and strategy, and then eventually building out capabilities for people to learn. Because one of the, the biggest problems I found over the years was, you know, this wasn't something they were teaching in school. And 
you know, basically fraud professionals were looking for real resources to go get educated and to educate new people coming into the space. And, and how do you create that common context that everybody can build on in terms of, you know, kind of the fraud basics? And, and that's really where we, we started to build out some of the training capabilities. But it was a, just an intense opportunity. It allowed me to work with basically everybody in the ecosystem to include merchants, acquirers, issuers, card associations, the vendors in every country in the world and every channel that's available across pretty much every industry that you can name. So it was it was a pretty exciting experience. And yeah, I got the opportunity with Expedia to you know help them build out you know their world class fraud platform. And they asked me to actually come on and take on some other responsibilities in, in the organization as well. And and I I Left at that opportunity to take on, you know, just that massive scale. It's just a huge organization, huge volume. And I love the challenge. So, David, that's been great to hear a little bit of your background and in, in the history of your involvement in fraud prevention. Usually on this podcast, we ask for a couple of anecdotes or a personal historic story that we can add to our podcast Hall of Fame. What sort of anecdote comes to mind from your history in, in fraud prevention? I mean, obviously, there, there's so many horror stories <laughs> that, you know, I can't really just say, hey, here's one and that represented us at all. But there are a couple of, of thoughts that I would, would say that, that really steer how I think about fraud prevention and the difference of success in being really good versus just being average and or failure. And I think the first thing is, is think holistically, know how the money and goods flow in your business and ensure your, your loss strategy goes across the entire business. It's not just in a single area. You know, it's something that I've run across a lot of examples where I'll come in and to a client back from the fraud practice where they really were just focused on, let's say, the the actual online consumer payment event. And they really didn't pay attention to how they were paying their suppliers or how many was going refunds were going back out. And they they took hits in terms of fraud. And, and it's really important to ensure that as you go in, as if you, you run fraud, to make sure you think holistically about how a fraudster can, can take your money because they will move around. Secondly, automation is critical to any fraud solution for scale and cost effectiveness, but you will always, always want high quality people as part of your solution design. They are absolutely essential for getting above average results I mean, you just cannot underestimate the value of a really good analyst on your team. So make sure that, you know, as you organize and go after it, that is always something that you're, you're thinking about. Third, it, it's really easy to get trapped into what I call a prevention mindset. I will prevent all fraud. That's my strategy, right? Prevent, prevent, prevent. Find out what's actually happening. We're going to prevent it. And I would actually argue, don't. Don't actually have that mindset. Assume you're going to take losses and your objective is to make sure that you can see something happening and you can stop it as quickly as possible to manage basically the actual risk to the company. You know, the the assumption that fraudsters are constantly going to be changing, morphing, and success is really about being able to see that morphing and to be able to react to it is really the game that you want to be in. And then my last one is really talking about the technology, the technology, the solutions, the things you use to actually combat fraud are going to change. This is a space where you need to be agile. 
what I used last year is different from what I use today, which is completely different from what I used five years ago, which is completely different than what I used back when I was at CyberSource. There's just no comparison, right? And you need to just keep that in mind. Don't get too comfortable with what's actually in place. Constantly be looking for what's next and how do you actually put these things together to create a great solution. Yeah, Dave, those are great. Four great suggestions. And if I, if I go to the fourth one and dig in there a little bit, it's difficult as a fraud professional with the responsibilities that people have for their teams and for the bottom line to stay on top of those technology trends. Do you have any suggestions for your you know, colleagues at other companies or people that are coming up through the ranks about how do you stay on top of the trends for technology? Yeah, so, I mean, first I, I do a ton of reading and look, you know, I'm very curious and I go out and I'm looking at what's actually happening in, in the space. I actually create really close relationships with vendors that service this space, and I want to hear their stories. You actually will learn stuff, and you should engage and hear different stories. Even if you're like, hey, I already know what this technique is, is you know, I would still engage, and you'll learn something in every one of those conversations. I actually still, even though you know, I'm not really directly involved in the day-to-day for fraud, I, I'm responsible for that group. It's part of my, my team. I still go to the MRC. I go out and I network with you know people that have been in this space for years. And like Tom, I've known Tom for a long time. And you know, it's really important to connect with others in the space and compare notes. And it's super healthy. And you know, it helps you stay on top of actually what's happening. And through these events and other activities, you can also see what's new. And whenever you do see something new, don't poo-poo it. Go out and take a look at it. Get into it, right? And you know, I think that those are the things that the techniques that I've used to really kind of stay on on top of the space. That's good. That's excellent. And and I think you know where Akata is involved in getting the MRC up and running here in Asia Pacific. And there's a real need here. I think that some of the leading companies have fraud prevention teams and in-house built machine learning capabilities that I put up against some of the multinationals, but many other companies are still learning about fraud prevention and how to, again, balance between fraud and friction. So I think those are great observations, David. Let's talk about new and exciting changes in that people are starting to travel again. Clearly, you've you've gone through one of the worst economic periods and travel has, has suffered some of the major biggest blows. How is Expedia positioning itself for this rise in travel? And then any observations about ways in which other companies should be thinking differently as we move into this post-pandemic era? Yeah, it's been a very strange year for sure. And, you know, COVID obviously tested Expedia and as, as well as many other companies basically out in the marketplace and just massive, massive scale. I, I did an interview on Bloomberg where I just talked about just the millions of calls coming in to cancel and refund when it first happened. And I mean, it's, it's insane scale. It's hard, just hard to even imagine the flow, but it's exciting to actually see that travel is coming back as the vaccination programs have, have rolled out. You can see stronger and stronger demand. And I, you know, during that time for the last year, we've really focused on improving our technologies, our platform to really drive down costs, increase scale, and really rule, you know, just kind of take out friction in that, that process. And I think that you know, really going after friction is something that's going to be very, very important for any company in today's marketplace 
when we talk about the online channels, as more and more people now have been on these online channels for so long, you know, the, the expectations they have are changing and becoming much greater. And it's just really critical for success to actually, you know, be able to create it, you know, just an optimal and pleasing customer experience if you actually want to win their business. You know, ultimately we we are building the platform for travel. That is our ambition. And you know, anybody that that knows me, I'm you know, I, I want to build the best of the best. So, you know, that that's what we aspire to do here. And that's what we are doing at Expedia. That's great. David, you and I have both been in the industry for quite some time. From my perspective, when my kids are asking me like, dad, what do you do? Oh, fraud prevention. Hmm. I don't know anybody else who does that. Why have you stayed in it? From my perspective, it's always been about the people right? I've always told my kids and and relatives that don't understand fraud prevention that the folks involved with fighting fraud are like really good police people committed to fairness and justice and really like, you know, I do this work because I don't want criminals ripping my company off. Now, what's your story? Why have you stayed engaged in fraud prevention and really the technology that supports the prevention of fraud? It's a great question, Tom, and I and I, I love this space for for all those same reasons. But I also love it from the standpoint that it requires you know that you actually have a, a unique blend of technical and customer skills, along with financial and business acumen, to really put together a real strategy for a company. It spans so much in terms of how money is moving and what's actually happening in a business, and it's a human adversary constantly changing and, and evolving. For me, one of the, the realizations that you know that came to me and to really understand just you know what is it about it that I find so compelling, so interesting, is I had a book recommendation come from one of my my senior product managers, Jacqueline Carlin. I'll give her a shout out, but she recommended a book to me from Adam Grant that's called Think Again, and I really think that that book in Adam's kind of you know you know real impetus of the what is it you you need to do really hit the nail on the head on why I appreciate the fraud space so much. And it really talked about, you know, how great thinkers, they don't let their expertise or experience really rule what they're doing. And they're constantly looking to go learn. They use like a term of perpetual students in kind of going down that path. And for fraud, I really, really believe that that is just an, a completely relevant point of view. And it's so important that you actually have that mindset. You have to be humble because, you know, I mean, you know, literally just, just when, you know, like when I think I've got it all figured out, I remind myself that I really don't know anything and anytime the rules are going to change and they, you know what, they've already changed. So what am I going to do differently to prevent basically fraud from happening and actually having that mindset, continuously learning and challenging how you do things. I just find super empowering and, and exciting to, to come to work to go take on that that challenge. And, and that's that's something that's pretty unique to the fraud space and the security space as well. And you know it, it makes it also a, a very mentally challenging industry to be in. Fantastic, David. Thanks again for joining today's podcast. We really appreciate your insight and your background. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you're a global leader interested in speaking with us on a future episode, please email podcast at akata.com. That's it for today. Until next time, take care.